0: and so when you use yoga breathing or any style of breathing practice what you're doing is taking the car from automatic and dropping it down into manual and when you're in manual mode you can upshift and you can downshift and you can make some changes and so uh generally speaking water whiskey and coffee are not so much breathing practices as they are categories of breathing so it doesn't really matter which style of breathing you're into, whether it's holotropic or traditional pranayama or Wim Hof, or Buteyko or, or some weird book you found on Amazon, whatever, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Just like anyone can exercise, anyone can breathe. But let's think about which category does this practice fall into? So I use it at the appropriate time.
1: Welcome to the Modern Longevitarian podcast. I'm your host, Scott Stanfield. I have the privilege and honor to interview some of the most successful people in the fields of human performance and longevity. You can listen to The Modern Longevitarian on your favorite platforms. If you have Apple Podcasts, please do me a favor and subscribe. Also, please stay tuned for an important message from our sponsor, ElectroLife. Today's guest is Lucas Rockwood, the founder of Yoga Body. What a blessing. Lucas is so kind and generous with his worldly wisdom and his precious time. Lucas and I have this in common. We were both scared into living a healthier life. This conversation had me taking notes on top of notes. I could go on and on about what I extracted from this interview. The big three takeaways for me are one, balance. Number two, getting out of our comfort zone and I quote, experience being human. And three, there's no mind-body connection and that the mind and body are one. I discovered Lucas on YouTube researching information on oxygen and breathing. His TEDx talk on the very subject has over a million views, and he explains even more about the categories of the breath in this episode. I encourage you to listen, learn, and explore the links in the show notes. Now, my interview with Lucas Rockwood. On today's show, we have the founder of Yoga
2: Body, Lucas Rockwood. Lucas, welcome to Modern Longevitarian.
0: Great to be here. Thanks.
2: Well, I'm so excited about this. Uh, I found you on YouTube. I saw your TEDx talk on breathing. But before we get into that, I wanted to start with reading a couple things from your bio. It says, people assume yoga classes are meant to be wonderful, peaceful experiences. This is not true. A good class should be the most challenging and uncomfortable hour of your day. And you went on to say, movement is more powerful than meditation. You know, I'm so intrigued with origin stories and why, you know, the why behind the motivation. And you've also said that you've been scared into health. So how did you get scared into becoming yoga body and everything that you are today?
0: Yeah, I think things are really a journey, I guess. But um, I was living in New York City in my early twenties. I guess it was two thousand, two thousand one. So I was twenty three years old and uh, worked downtown, lived downtown, and September eleventh happened. And it was really just kind of a crazy moment. It was very similar to right now, actually. Everything got quarantined, you know, a well, different kind of quarantine. But uh, Lower Manhattan was closed down. And, you know, there's dust in my apartment and very few things were open for a couple of weeks. My office was closed and for Americans, you know, to have two weeks off work was kind of a, a crazy experience. We, you know, we never close anything. And right now it's, things have been closed for months. That's so a weird thing, but everything was closed and I was wandering around just trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I was drinking, I was drinking the whole time. I drank on September 11th, uh, the day of, you know, I was watching World Trade the burn and the rubbish, some crazy bar was open, you know, went in there and found a payphone to call relatives and it was drinking and uh, finally managed to meet up with a friend, you know, phones didn't work, The phone lines were all blocked and things like that. And we basically just wandered around lower Manhattan, you know, drinking and taking drugs and wandering around in the dust and the rubble trying to make sense of it all my brother at the time lived in Washington DC so he was very close to you know the pentagon situation just kind of a real moment of reckoning very similar to what's happening right now where the kind of the web of life kind of goes and you go whoa i don't know what i'm doing and and i was young and the, the big advantage of being young is you can you can really turn on a dime but uh, fast forward a couple of months uh, christmas christmas of 2001 I went to visit my parents and I wasn't taking my normal pill and drinking stack. And I ended up having a, a, a grand mal seizure right in front of my parents a couple of days after Christmas woke up in the back of an ambulance and I'd been convulsing on the ground in front of my parents for 15 minutes in, in um, Dana point in California. And it was just a kind of, it was just kind of a second moment where like the world just hits you and you go, Whoa, what have I done here? You know, what have I done here? I've had this really, really blessed life by all accounts. Amazing parents, uh, just kind of a crazy, adventurous life. Traveled a lot, lived a lot of places. And by blessed life, I don't mean financially, but I just mean like I got lucky. I got lucky with my family and friends and, you know, and, um, yeah, you know, nobody kicked me around or anything like that. I just had really, really, really uh, a lot of advantages thrown at me for no particular reason except that I got lucky. And I thought, this is the best that I can do. You know, this is the best that I can do. I'm sitting here, 23 years old, in the back of an ambulance, bloated, alcoholic, you know, tweaked out on drugs and, and in front of my parents. And, and my parents, uh, it's not, they're not the kind of parents you want to be like that in front of. So I, I had this reckoning and I just, um, I knew I needed something and I didn't know what it was. And I went back to New York went back to work, but everything, you know, like now, right? So after this COVID thing, everything just has kind of a different hue to it. The world has kind of this different color and you look at everything differently, work projects. You go, huh, not so into that. Or this one, hmm, really into that. Or people, you know, you think, who should I call? Who do I really care about? And I had that kind of moment and I realized most of my friends were pretty toxic and uh, happy people, jolly people, but, you know, just a bunch of drunks and drug addicts and things like this. And... I met a girl and she took me to a yoga class and I was miserable, you know, kind of leading into what you read earlier. It was a really terrible experience. I was humiliated. I felt like kind of a white whale and in the mural, bloated and sweaty. And I didn't make it through the class. You know, it was a hot yoga class. I ended up on my back, just sort of blacked out. And I realized like, I don't know what to do with my life, but I know everybody here looks happier than me. I know this girl I just met is like, so supportive and happy. And I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm just, this is my best idea. I'm just going to do this. So I just kept going and I just kept going to class and I lost a, a whole bunch of weight. I, I mean, that first class, it took, it wasn't like an immediate thing, but it was near immediate. That first class, I remember going down, it was in lower Manhattan. I remember going down to the street and smoking right after class, calling my brothers. and I just went to this class, you know, but that changed very quickly. I quit smoking. I quit, um, eating bad. I quit drinking very quickly. In a matter of weeks, I lost something like 41 pounds and I probably needed to lose about 25. And so the extra 15 just made me sort of uh, thin as a rail. So none of my clothes fit me. I bumped into people on the street, that had to do a double take, they didn't recognize me. It was a pretty dramatic transformation. And the most dramatic thing is it happened very quickly, very, very quickly. Um, and I sort of poured all this neurotic addictive tendencies into something that was And I got really into it. I got really into yoga and I quit my job and I moved to Southeast Asia and started teaching yoga. And one thing led to another. and, And here we are 17 or more, I guess, 17, 18 years later. And, and I've really kind of made yoga and health and wellness a career. And I, I wish I could say that it was kind of just a straight line path from then. But of course, you know, along the way, you get, you get lost along the way, you know, got lost in, in drink again and got lost in, in stress and a whole bunch of other things. But um, it's really been kind of a guiding light. And this yoga practice has really anchored me throughout this whole journey.
1: An important message from our sponsor, Electrolife. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite supplements on the entire planet. Magnesium with Immune Boost, made by Electrolife.com. Why magnesium? When it comes to nutrient deficiencies, magnesium ranks at the top of the list. It's right there with iron, iodine, and vitamin D. Just like sodium and potassium, magnesium is an important electrolyte. Electrolytes are needed to balance the water in our bodies, balance our body's pH level, and move nutrients into our cells while moving waste out. If you're keto like me, you truly know the importance of electrolytes and hydration. Believe it or not, magnesium is needed for more than 300 biochemical reactions in the human body. Some people say up to 600. Let me tell you why I trust this specific product made by Electrolife for me and my family. This supplement contains a high-grade magnesium plus potassium and over 60 other minerals that are key to our health. It's produced from the Great Salt Lake, and no, you can't just go over and dip your water bottle in and start drinking lake water. It takes three years from the point of capture to the point that this becomes a consumable supplement nowhere else on earth will you find a richer source of minerals and nutrients and that's the truth the other reason i love this magnesium is that it's easy to use just add it to whatever you're drinking all you need is two droppers full each day if you want to get started with one of the best magnesium supplements on the entire planet with an added immune system booster click on the link in the show notes or go to electrolife.com forward slash shop. That's electrolife with a Y is spelled E L E C T R O L Y F E.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, that's,
2: that's absolutely amazing. I've, have a similar story, you know. I'm I have a addictive personality, and being in the restaurant world, I've been wrapped up mm-hmm. in, you know, going to the bar after work and drinking yeah. a lot, and, and those things. I've had to lose forty pounds twice, so I've had to learn those lessons a couple times, and yeah, um, and um, and redirected that personality into things that are healthy. I I I read that you you did you did yoga for three hundred eighty days straight.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that that's probably an understatement. It was probably more like, uh, I don't know, 1,450 days or something. I'm, I'm sure it was 380. And so, um, uh, yeah, I remember I you know, I used to go to this yoga studio. I, I went to pretty much every yoga studio in lower Manhattan, but I went to this one and they were really adamant that like you had to take Saturdays off. That was like the thing. And so they were like, you must take a break. And I would just go to another studio and just keep going. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, in in, in – when you don't have a better idea, this is, why, this is why I like to teach health, why I like to focus on health, why I'm so obsessed with it. Because like at a time, like right now, you know, so many, you know, I've had to, I've had to furlough half my staff. My studios are closed. There's so much great change. It's like I don't know what to do, but here's what I know will be positive. I don't know that it'll fix everything, but I know that it'll fix something is like eat a good meal, uh, do some breath work, go for a walk, do some exercise, do a yoga practice it's so predictable. It's just so reliable in a world that sometimes like right now is so unstable. We don't know what's happening, but it's, it's like, what can I do? Let me, and when I say, what can I do? It's like, well, let me not get drunk. <laughs> let me, let me stay sober. Let me take care of what I can take care of. And let me really focus on the things that, uh, that I know I can make a difference with. And, and that's why health and wellness is such a, for me, it's just such a simple area to focus on. And I always come back to like the big three, you know, you have, health, wealth, and relationships, wealth is super hard and relationships, maybe even harder. You, there's no overnight fix for either of those. It's kind of this crazy, crazy, rocky road that the best people in the world, it's, it's just so I, I, I don't even pretend to have advice in those realms, but with health, there's some pretty predictable stuff you can do that'll make you feel better. And it's like a meal or two away or a day or two away, and you'll start to feel better, not perfect, not fixed, but better. And that's, that's what I get really excited about.
2: Yeah, me too. I, you know, because I'm the same way. I'm like, well, I'm not feeling good. I can skip this meal and maybe I'll feel better. You know, or yeah, um, you know, the endorphin rush from doing. Uh, you know, I live in the mountains and yeah, in Utah and at seven thousand feet, I can go on a hike. I mean, there's hiking trails within a couple blocks of my house, and sure. next thing you know, I can be, you know, out of breath a little bit and yeah. Get, you know, 7,500 feet or 8,000 feet and a couple of miles in the woods and part of nature and, yeah. and those things. So, I I really, that's what I really love about, about those things too. And so,
3: mm.
2: how does your journey impact your mindset when it comes to health and longevity?
0: I guess, you know, to loop back to that statement that you read earlier, this idea that your yoga practice should be uh, miserable. It should be kind of the most miserable hour, hour and a half of your day. I think this is where people get things wrong, you know, especially like in North America, everything's so comfortable, right? Everything's, everything's comfortable. There's carpeted hallways. You know, I always make fun of the airports in the U S cause they're carpeted, you know, you have these big carpeted, everything's padded, you know, you go to holiday and everything's carpeted, everything's really? kind of squ- squishy and padded. And, um, you get to the point where you haven't really felt anything in a really long time. I mean, like really felt, you know, like most homes have the thermometer set at like 68 to 72 It's Like, you know, 72 and the air con kicks in, hit 68, the heat kicks in. It's like, when was the last time you were cold, out of breath, heart pumping out of your chest, hungry, horny, lost, like really feeling, really feeling what it means to be alive. And, um, in North America, a lot of times it's like a really long time ago since you felt those extremes, you know, people go like six hours without food. They go, just, yeah, I don't know. I was in a, a fitness group on Facebook yesterday and people were sh- sharing their, their beverage refrigerators and they had entire refrigerators just filled with like beer and soft drinks and all this stuff. And I was just like, this is crazy level of comfort. Like, um, and there's nothing wrong with it, but you get to a point where you, you haven't really felt what it means to be human in a while, which basically means that really mundane stuff is going to throw you off. There's nothing wrong with comfort. It just makes you really vulnerable and really fragile. What I mean by that is in a typical day, if you just map out the arc of your day, there will be a best moment and there will be a worst moment. Um, I've already had my worst moment of the day. I had to, I had to fire one of my staff. Miserable. I'd right? have been torn up about it for a couple of weeks. Terrible moment, like really, really bad. That, that It's done. That's the worst moment of my day. It won't get worse. So that's the good news. I don't know if I've had the best moment, but I was playing with my little boy earlier. Pretty epic. You know, he's one years old, pretty, just a kind of a ball of joy. But what happens is if you, don't engine, if you don't at least attempt to engineer your worst moment, little stupid stuff can end up really throwing you off. Like right now, I just see like all this crazy stuff, people going crazy about wearing masks in Walmart or whatever it is. Like that's not your worst moment. I understand that people are upset about masks, but you're not really that upset. It's just that your temperature gauge is 68 to 72. It's just that you got a drink thing filled and you just want life to be that Kush, that like just putting a mask on is a major imposition. In, in, in the grand scheme of things, that's not your worst moment. And yet, that person's having their worst moment. So, when I look at health and wellness, and especially when I look at exercise, and in my case, yoga, because that's my thing, but it doesn't matter if it's yoga or if it's CrossFit or whatever you're doing, you need to really suffer. And the reason you need to suffer is because you want to try, at least try, to engineer that worst moment on your own terms and ideally have it alone. Ideally have it without a loved one around, or, or if they are around, they're somewhere else in the gym or they're somewhere else where you're not interacting with them so that you can work that out. Cause every single day we'll have that peak in that valley. And if you leave it up to your day to determine literally something as silly as a face mask or something as silly as somebody, you know, uh, cutting in front of you on the freeway or something, it can throw you off. You're just like, why? Why? It's because that that moment had to happen. Every day has to have a peak in a valley. If you don't do some work to engineer it, there will be really, really lame peaks, like some Netflix original series, which really nobody should be watching. That would be your peak instead of like playing with your kid or like you mentioned, hiking at 7,000 feet or whatever. And there will be some really, really pathetic valley. Like, you know, I couldn't get toilet paper at the you know, grocery store or whatever it is. And so when I think about it, I'm just thinking about um, – number one, how can I put more tools in my toolkit? And number two, really not trying to make health and wellness about anything as simple as just improving the quality of my life. And um, it's really a long journey to come there because you have this idea of perfection, the perfect diet and the perfect exercise routine, but really just thinking like on a daily basis, let me use these tools I have, this food to try to balance out my mood, this, this yoga practice, this exercise in my case, to try to engineer my worst moment so that when I'm in moments where I'd like to be my best, there's a better chance that I can be. And those would be moments with people that I care about. And I don't care about a yoga mat or a kettlebell or a pair of running shoes. I can abuse them. I could be my worst self. And that's, that's sort of the way I think about it.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, you know, I had the same experience this uh, weekend, this Memorial day weekend and here in the mountains, it snowed. Mm. And I took a picture, a beautiful picture, put it on Facebook and, and, yeah um i also um, had planned that morning to take an ice bath and i didn't put the picture uh, on facebook of me taking an ice bath but i did you know mention that in the in the comments about the picture of and almost every comment back was you can have that i'll have the hot tub or steam room or I'm yeah. a wimp and I don't like being cold and
3: <laughs> yeah, those yeah.
2: things. And I've been practicing the Wim Hof method for mm-hmm. over four years and which in our emails prior to this, I told you, that I use his breathing exercises, which are similar to your coffee mm-hmm. um, style of breathing. Sure. And, um, and uh, it's amazing that, and Wim Hof talks about us being in our comfort zone, how we don't, mm-hmm don't get out of that. And I love the way you explained it as experience being human, because our physiology is built, most people don't realize this, we're designed to actually withstand large amounts of cold and heat at the, you know, not at the same time, but back you can, you know, and even people are getting in where they're doing contrast style, where they go from hot to cold, hot to cold, versus doing one, I'll do cold during the day, and then um, and after that ice bath the other day, I shivered for a couple a couple hours. Yeah. And, um, even with a light jacket on inside the house with the thermostat set at 70 degrees, right? I still sure. was cold for a couple yeah. hours. And yeah. it it was for me that was amazing. I mean, for some people would call that their low point of the day, right? But it's the suffering of that, knowing how my body's responding and uh, building immunity and making myself stronger and burning more calories and all the positive benefits of being cold for those couple hours mm. um are amazing but but most everybody around me you know are like you're crazy
3: right?
2: mm. it's just wild but and and I love the way you look at that in terms of of exercise as well I've done my fair share of of yoga and I stretch a little bit each day you know, not every day, but I for I'd probably probably say four to five days a week I'm I'm stretching some and I'm mo- mostly um working on my hips, which is probably the core of what you're doing. I mean you're doing hamstrings and quads and you know, your um your your groin area, you know, your or adductors, you know, and that type of stuff, and IT band and just really working on staying but you're you're hitting other pieces. You'll hit your calves and that type of stuff, posterior chain and those things and um and then you're also doing things like Cobra, which you're because you're stretching in a different way. If you're really going to stretch your your abs, I mean, you're not your abs, but your your hips in every direction. So um, I, I wasn't going to get to this point here, but how important is flexibility? Not specifically yoga, but flexibility in terms of how we feel today, but also um, how it helps us uh, as we age, because we're not getting any younger, right?
0: Mm. Yeah. So when I first started practicing yoga, I got really obsessed with flexibility and all of my uh, colleagues, yoga teachers, yoga students are like, oh, flexibility doesn't matter. You know, just, just focus on your internal journey. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter for you, but like I'm sitting on the ground and I'm sweating because my hips are so tight that my knees are way up off the ground. My back's hunched over. I just, you know, I, I realized like I was moving like I was 50 years older than I was, you know, 23, I was moving like I was, I don't know much, much much older, 73, 83. And so, you know, it's fine to say flexibility doesn't matter until you realize that like many grown adults over the age of 50 can't really clip their own toenails. Many of them can't, they, they they tie their shoes in a way that were somebody to actually videotape them, they'd go, whoa. And the reality is most people over the age of 40, they get up and up and down from the ground in a way that's it's just indicative of aging. And all you, literally all you'd have to do is just video yourself getting up and down from the ground for most people. And they'd go, Oh my God, am I, is that what I'm doing? And so some of this, it sounds like vanity. It sounds like, well, you're, we're all going to get old, you know? And so I, you know, I am 42, I am old. No, that's not necessarily true. You can stay mobile a lot longer, but on a really practical level, mobility is really associated with longevity and youthfulness and mobility. And just to give one practical example, when you speak about hips, in particular, hip fractures and broken hips are, are a huge cause of death in older people. And a slip and a fall is the the main cause of that. And that's very often correlated, if not caused from hip, lack of hip mobility, just the, the lack of the ability to squat down and get it back up off the ground. And so these things, while they seem really simple, you know, over time, they really play out into huge, huge problems. So I started, I started practicing this. I started teaching this. And then suddenly, I mean, I can't tell you how many people- are it's just not something that people talk about at barbecues but there's a whole bunch of people who are freaking out because they literally they're they're my age they're in their 40s they can't get up and down from the ground and and they don't know where it happened and it's just you know one thing leads to another five years turn into ten years turn into 15 years suddenly you realize you haven't done any kind of mobility practices whatsoever and just you know grinding away on a, a stairmaster or a treadmill at the gym without any kind of you know mobility work that that it amplifies the experience. So, um, so yeah, something that's a big part of what I teach and, and uh, I teach a whole bunch of things, but these, these things that seem really, really um, I guess, I, I guess they seem really simple and unimportant end up becoming these really massive breakthroughs for people where you realize that your physiology and your psychology are so inextricably intertwined that if you can't get up and down from the ground, that's actually affecting the way that you feel and interact with the world in a way that's really hard to perceive until you can. And so this idea that, you know, this kind of dualistic idea that a mind and body are separate. I just don't really see that play out at all. When I see a, a random middle-aged guy like me who can't squat or sit on the floor, learn to squat or sit cross-legged, or, you know, maybe even do like a full lotus pose or something like that. It changes not just their, 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 their physiology, but their psychology changes as well. This, this mind-body connection is not even a connection. It's just one thing. It's just mind-body. And so you can't have a block in one area and have it not impact the other.
2: Yeah. Mindset and the, the connection between the body is, is huge. I, I think Bruce Lee would says um, the body will follow the mind. Mm. And so you, you know, we have to set our mind on, you know, Hey, I want to be more flexible. I don't know if you've heard of this, but there's a study that was done in Brazil is actually predicts uh lifespan. And it was basically on a simple test of uh, getting up off the floor. Yeah. And uh, the more you used knees, hands, elbows, um, the more points you got and the higher your point score was the shorter your life was going to be yeah and um it's a uh, very simple um, you can even do it at home a uh, longevity uh, test i'm actually going to that's one of the things i'm going to encourage people to do is when they want to see how long their life they span is they can test at home is whether they can get down without using hands or knees or um, and then get up as well um, the um it's is really Really important, and I know that the more flexible that I am, a the less pain I have. Mm. Um, you know, I my my left hamstring gets really tight, and it actually makes my left foot hurt. Mm. And that's really where the focus was for me was uh, on when I started stretching and learning the connection between the pain I was having. And I, as a restaurant manager, you know, which I've done for you know almost thirty years, you know, I'm on my feet a lot, and if your foot's hurting you want to find the solution. And, and um, ironically, this, it wasn't anything wrong with my foot. It was actually some tight muscles in my, uh, in my left leg that were pulling. It was, is really, really wild. You know, I saw a video, I'm going to transition here. I saw a video um, on YouTube. You were talking about a 30 day sugar detox. Mm. And I don't um, know if you wanted to talk about, um, you know, the, the importance of lowering sugar and, um, and carb intake. I mean, I, I'm keto and I've been keto for a long time and mm-hmm. but um, I, I don't ever encourage people to go down the, the same path I'm doing. I think people need to find their own way. Yeah. And um, because, well, back to flexibility, what I was going to say is like, I, I you know, if you can swing a 55-pound kettlebell but you can't reach down to pick a piece of paper off the floor, you know, swinging the kettlebell is not doing you much good, right?
3: Yeah. And,
2: yeah. and so, um, the same thing is like we can focus on a lot of different things, but if you know, even eating um too much natural carbohydrates or sugars can be bad for us as well. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about the importance of lowering sugar and and how that affects
3: us?
0: My whole thing when you look at uh, health and wellness, pop health and wellness is so much of it is so ambiguous. The whole mindfulness movement, the whole meditation movement. Uh you know, it just comes down to a lot of people thinking about positive things and then doing their normal life and that's good but i just find it much better if people have actual tools and so that's why i get hyper focused on things like breath work things like flexibility in this case things like uh, blood glucose and monitoring so a lot of people go on this health journey and they just get obsessed with green smoothies or bone broth or whatever it is and those are all positive but i i just uh you know being in uh, Alternate health and, and natural health and stuff for so many years, I just see people just kind of pop from one trend to the other, and they sort of miss like the 30,000 foot view, or maybe better stated, these big massive levers that really affect change. And when you look at health and wellness and you look at diet and nutrition specifically, it's something I've just spent an obsessive amount of time trying to figure out because the world is so broken right now with you know more obesity than starvation and just a weird turning of the scales when you look at all of that, there's so much complexity, you know, where I'm in Europe, the food supply is so different than the U S the socioeconomic buying power of someone in, in Kenya is so much different than somebody in Colombia. or you know, it's, it's just such a complex issue. But if we look at like uh, just systems and first principles and things like that, what, what's fundamentally, what's fundamentally broken about food systems internationally and what's fundamentally broken is as we worked to end starvation, which we're doing, just a phenomenal rate. What we did is we dumped carbs all over the world and that worked. It worked really well. I mean, the, probably the most remarkable example of this is India. India was starving and, and, and dwarf wheat came into India and Pakistan and really just kind of ended starvation. It's kind of remarkable. Um, and now they've got a huge obesity and diabetes problem, right? And so it doesn't take long for that to flip. And so again, when you look at health and wellness and you look at these big tools and whether you're in the middle of a a COVID-19 crisis or you're in the middle of a midlife crisis or you're in the middle of a, I'm 42 years old and I got a beer belly crisis or whatever it is, whatever kind of crisis you're in. And um, I'm saying those as someone who's had all of those crises. It's really helpful just to, um, it's really helpful to give yourself some tools. And if you go down the, the, the pop health, angle, you will get lost in eating keto salts, eating bison bars, trying to get grass. And that stuff's all cool. It's all good, but it's really important that we just stop and go, okay, where's the, you know, I only have so much time in the day. I want to make sure that I'm on the right path. Where are the big, big levers? Where are the foundational stuff? When you look at that, the big, the big elephant in the room is sugar. It's it's sugar in all its forms, carbohydrate in all its forms. And it's not that there's anything wrong with sugar. It's not that there's anything bad with sugar. Your body loves it. Your brain loves it. My one-year-old loves it. Everyone loves sugar. And the problem is it's just too much. The biggest challenge with food is that it's it, especially some, something like sugars, we just have to moderate it. And it's very challenging to moderate something that potent. Our bodies are wired to react in such a positive way when they get a hit of it. But if we look out at the world of food and nutrition, whether we're looking at a prison or a school or a, a five-star restaurant or a fast food joint, basically what we find is a whole bunch of carbs. You find cookies, crackers, biscuits, rice, bread, pasta. We all, it's just all a bunch of carbs. Carbs are delicious. They're cheap. They last forever. You can make them into anything you want. They can make them crunch, make them soft, bake them whatever you want. And, um, but unfortunately there's just too much. So it's not, you know, I got really caught up like everybody in this gluten-free thing, caught up in grain-free and it's like it, maybe, but mostly you just need to not eat so much. And when you learn that it's pretty liberating because it doesn't mean you never can have bread again. It doesn't mean you, you know, it doesn't mean that nobody should ever eat rice and the Japanese are really healthy and yet they eat rice. It doesn't mean you have to go to this extreme, but when you realize, okay, the big problem here is that, you know, I like to kind of imagine that you're starving and you're in the middle of the woods and the helicopter comes in to drop food because you're in some isolated area. They're not going to be dropping like arugula or grass-fed bison or anything like that. They will be dropping big bags of rice and wheat, right? Just just sustenance food. And so if we go, okay, that's what I'd use to survive. Now let's flip it around and let me really try to thrive. And then I know that I need to look at not just calorie density, not just carbohydrate density, not just like, let me not starve, but how do I thrive? And that's on a more nutrient dense diet. And that's on something that's moderate protein, higher in fat, if not high fat, and definitely moderating carbs. And one of the cool things I've been in this industry for a long time is just to see all the thought leaders kind of converge, meaning every single camp, whether it's the raw foodist or the paleo people or the keto people, whoever it is, it's like they're, they're mostly saying the same thing from a different standpoint. It's kind of like all the Christians in North America, they're basically saying the same thing, but one calls themselves a Methodist, the other calls themselves a Catholic. What's really going on there, the differences are very nuanced. Now, I know to somebody in one of those communities, they're very offended by that, but they're mostly the same, right? They're mostly the same. And, and it's just a different path to get to the same end result. It's been really cool to see all these different thought leaders kind of converge and say the same thing. So whether you end up throttling your carbs through a, a you know a low glycemic raw food diet, or you end up throttling your carbs through a paleo diet, or through a ketogenic approach like you're doing, it's much less important than just that you throttle those damn carbs. And so figuring out a way to do that is really it's kind of the biggest thing. So I don't really care anymore whether somebody is doing keto or or vegetarian or I'm just like let's start with the basics. Like, are you eating 500 grams of carbs a day? Because if you are, you're screwed. And if it hasn't happened now, something's going to go wonky. Not everybody gains weight, but everybody goes wonky. And so, instead of gaining weight, maybe your thyroid goes off. Instead of gaining weight, maybe your testosterone drops. Instead of gaining weight, maybe, I don't know, you get fatty liver disease. I'm not sure, but it will go sideways. Weight is the elephant in the room, but it doesn't always show up for everybody, but something shows up. If you're cranking down 500 grams of carbs a day for an extended period of time. So that's why I get so interested in this, uh, carb thing. I also get really excited about it because people make massive changes. You know, I've had people join me on these. It's, it's a really simple program and we, we just cut your carbs in half basically, but, um, you know, we'll do in 30 days and in 30 days, people don't completely change their life, but usually within a couple of months after the program, people make really, really big Changes. They, they lose weight, which is an obvious one. But a lot of people are able to either throttle or reduce insulin uh, from, uh, you know, people who are type two diabetic and this kind of thing. People are able to balance out hormones, sleep better, these kinds of things. And um, I, I just I love it because it's not dogmatic and it lets people kind of figure out what makes sense for them. Maybe they live in a rural area and there's too many deer, and they live off venison. Great. You know, maybe they live in Maine and they live off Fresh coffee. I don't know what they, I don't know what makes sense for everybody, but what I do know is really important is when we switch from this survival mindset. Let's pack our kids full of cheap carbohydrates to, hmm, We have a little bit more luxury here to think about food quality, not just quantity. Let's throttle those carbs and see if we can replace them with some more nutrient dense foods.
2: I absolutely love that. I I, I don't want to mislead people here. I the second time I lost forty pounds was. Eight years ago, I was forty years old. I went for a well checkup. I was thirty-nine and I don't know, nine months old. And I'm like, oh, I've been a vegetarian, pescatarian for ten yeah. years. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crush this, right? And I went to the doctor, and I was forty pounds overweight. I thought I was only about twenty pounds overweight, which I thought was okay, manageable. But come to find out, my scale was off at home. Oh wow! And all of my uh, indicators you know, uh, uh, blood work came back and I was not in, in good health. Other, other than my blood pressure was lower than it had been 10 years before that. Uh, and blood pressure was really good, but everything else was way off.
3: Mm.
2: And um, I started working out again, started doing P90X again, and that's how I lost mm. the weight the first time. Cool. And I'm more of a, I, I grew up racing go-karts, so I'm super competitive. So I'm sure. not, yoga is not the first thing I think of. I think more yeah. of like, you know, lifting weights, right? And sure. that's what I've learned. But
3: yeah.
2: i would lost about 10 pounds in a couple of months. And then um, I was a director of food and beverage at a hospital at the time.
3: Mm.
2: But this was eight years ago. This is before anything was really higher fat, lower carb, other than yeah. Atkins diet. Sure. So the dietitians that I worked with weren't really suggesting any of the, these type of things. But one of the doctors that did bariatric surgery mm. said that, weight loss is 70% diet mm. and I'm like, here I am. I haven't changed my diet. It's seven is bigger part of the, 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 the puzzle. Yeah. Um, and I said, I, let me try to, let me, and I somebody give, gifted me a diet book. It was called the warrior diet. Mm. And I don't know if you ever heard of it or not, but it's basically the first book that was ever written on intermittent fasting. Okay. And it was what we now call one meal a day, sure. um, which was a 20 hour underfeeding window and a four hour overfeeding window. Mm-hmm. and it's some carb controlling because you would only eat carbs um, if you needed them at the end of the meal. Okay. So you would start out with raw foods like a salad or something like that, and then cook meats and vegetables and then carbs if you needed them. The first week I did that, I lost seven pounds.
0: Wow.
2: Yep. That was eight years ago. I've only been keto for four years. So I'm not saying that keto is how I lost my weight. I didn't. I'd already lost all the weight. Sure. But, when I added in cold exposure, I started craving fat mm. because I was cold a lot. I was craving mm-hmm. higher yeah. calorie sure. and I was smart enough to know is like, if I, if I start eating the fat that I'm craving and continue to eat the sugar and the salad dressing yeah. that I'm just mimicking a high carb, high fat diet and I'm going to gain the weight back. Mm. So keto for me was more of a way of adjusting to the fact that I was exposing myself to, the cold or winters, not wearing a jacket, wearing a t-shirt and shorts while I'm shoveling my driveway, taking cold showers, going on hikes with no shirt on and wearing shorts, those Mm. type of things. And um, I am, you know, extreme when it comes to a lot of those things. Yeah. But I'm also in the process of like going, how far can I go? How far can I push the envelope to maybe help people like my kids, my son's 18, my daughter's 12, Mm. see that. You don't have to wear a coat when you go outside, you know, those type of things. Sure. I lived in California for nine months working recently, and it was harder to be keto when I was in California. Mm, the Shower's not as cold. Okay? <laughs> and you get out of the shower and it's not as cold outside. Mm. You didn't have to shovel driveways, didn't have to do those things. There was, the hike was warmer. It was more like trips to the beach versus, you know, snow, you know, shooing and those things. Yeah. And so it was harder for me to be keto in, um, in, in California. And I tested with a carnivore diet and I felt better. But mm. I also just recently did a 14-day um, 100% plant-based keto diet,
3: mm-hmm.
2: which basically I designed myself. And, and it was after watching the movie Game Changers or the documentary mm-hmm. Game Changers. And I felt better th- that way too. And I think mm-hmm. the reason is because both of those diets eliminate the things that cause problems for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, love your approach because I, we think the same way. I back up to thirty thousand feet, and I and I say these are the true macronutrients. And we haven't really discussed this, but uh, um, <clears throat> and I I I love what you're saying. These massive levers, and this is what I look at. Mindset is number one. Breath and oxygen is number two, which is why I reached out to you initially, and we'll get into that next. Mm. Hydration, sleep, food, and fasting, movement, mm. and then cold and hot. Those are really the, the big levers for me. Mm. And However you choose to move for you, that's yoga. For me, that's, I jump a lot of rope and I swing kettlebells and do pushups and use bands yeah. and those type of things. But we're both doing, and I stretch, right? Mm-hmm. So we're doing similar things, but I do what fits my personality and you do what works for you. Sure. Right? Somebody else may say, Hey, I want to go run a marathon. I won't do it. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just won't, but I also love doing martial arts. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's a, as long as we move, and even if you look at the blue zones, which you talked about, like Japanese people, you know, eating rice, they, they eat a little bit higher carb, but they don't have the yeah. stress we do. So yeah. their insulin responses are different.
3: Mm.
2: Um, I could go on and on, but those are the levers that I look at. And I call yeah. those the macronutrients, because I think just like you said, fat, protein, and carbs are not the end-all be-all when it comes to health. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the breath. I mean, your TEDx talk has over a million views now. Um, I've listened to it multiple times. And when you talk about tools, I think it, what what comes to me is simplicity. Mm. Right? So um, coffee, water, and whiskey. Um, I managed a restaurant that had over 1,000 whiskeys behind the bar. Wow. So, um actually it was 1100 it took eight people eight hours to do inventory once a month Wow! So wow, wow! i know a lot about whiskey a lot about water <laughs> and i know a lot about coffee and i had a bulletproof coffee this morning this week so, um let's get into breathing and the importance and how it impacts our body and how you simplify this for us
0: simplification is like such a big part of what i do in it? and um Just to loop back to the food thing, this is why like, when people ask me for food advice now, I'm just like, listen, just start with your carbs. Take your body weight, your ideal body weight, and do that as max carbs per day. Start there and then come back and talk to me. Most people don't come back. (laughs) And so if they do come back, then we can talk about other things. When it comes to breath, I'm in the yoga world, obviously. So people talk about breathing all the time. And the general advice is breathe slowly, breathe deeply. And uh, I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) What's slow, right? Who, who's slow? What's slow? What's deeply like? How as deep as I can till it hurts, till till I'm gonna explode. What's deep? And it sounds like I'm being a smart ass, but really, what what does that mean? What does that mean? This is what all yoga teachers are saying is breathe slowly, breathe deeply, and you get more oxygen. Get more oxygen where? Like where? Where do we get more oxygen? You know, the air we're breathing now has you know 21 ish percent oxygen. We don't even need that much. Why do I need more oxygen? What are we even talking about? And I got really frustrated because I just couldn't get any information. Nobody in the yoga world, with very few exceptions, has any idea what they're talking about in terms of breath. And I just like, how can this be? This is the, the most, the biggest breath advocates in the world, the people writing books on pranayama. There's no science whatsoever. There's absolutely no reference. None of this makes any sense. There's all these convoluted, complicated breathing pattern up, down this, hold that. Interesting from a meditation, concentration, mind control perspective. But like, really, what are we doing? Right? what are we doing? Like slow and deep, that's it. And that gives me more oxygen, which kills bad things and wipes out toxins. That sounds like a clickbait article on Facebook, you know? And, um, from, from 300 years ago in the yoga world, basically. And so I started getting into this and, and, you know, I realized like, first of all, there's no big mystery around breathing physiology. It's not, it's not complicated. Most of it's been uncovered over hundred years ago. It's not confusing. It's not hard to understand it's really poorly taught. And, um, I, you know, I grew up being intermittently a very, very, very good student and a very bad student at different times in my life. And I've later in, in my later life here, in my middle life here, I've become a very good student. And I get really frustrated with bad teaching. I just feel like people really love to learn. I think like we're just wired for learning. You know, I look at my kids, I have a, a 15 and eight and a one year old, so I get the full spectrum. And I just think that, as humans, we're wired for learning. We're wired for growth and learning. And we're just like sponges. And people say, oh, I don't really like learning that much. And then they're investing three, four hours a day in Netflix. And they know every star's name, every stupid Netflix original series. I mentioned this now because people are really on a, on a tear right now because of COVID. And it's like, you're learning something. It's just most of what you're learning is totally useless, both to you and to the world. And so I really like when it comes to learning is really trying to give people, to to make learning fun and make learning not a mystery. And I get really frustrated when things are too complicated. Um, And breathing is one of those things that teachers have made too complicated. Number one, because either they don't understand it, or number two, they're trying to guard the castle. And by enshrining breath work with mysticism or complications or uh, levels of achievement like it is in the yoga community, it sort of gives the, the teacher some sort of inherent value where you need to keep coming back and paying them money and going to their retreats and this kind of silly nonsense. And uh, I got really frustrated by that. So I started researching it and it took me a long time not to research, just to find the actual research. But once I did, it became really easy for me to understand. And it doesn't matter what breathing you're looking at, whether it's holotropic, whether it's Buteyko, whether it's Wim Hof, like you mentioned, whether it's classic yoga pranayama, any number of exercises there, whether it's Kriya work or whatever it is, you can really understand it Very, very simply, there's just three main mechanisms that you're doing, all of which relate to your nervous system. And in order to remember them, I kind of coined the phrase water, whiskey, coffee. At least I think I did. I I always say, like, I don't actually know if I made this up because I've had almost no original ideas in my whole life. So probably somebody will come to me and say that I I learned it from them. I'm not sure. But water, whiskey, coffee is the way that I talk about it. And the, the idea is that water is a balancing breath. So anything that has kind of an adaptogenic balancing effect on your nervous system like a glass of water so good in the morning good in the evening and then this concept of coffee breathing just is a really simple way to 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 wrap your head around a breathing practice that stimulates that upregulates your sympathetic nervous system your fight-or-flight system which is generally correlated with a fast breathing and i would define fast as 20 30 breaths per minute and then on the flip side we have whiskey breathing and as the name suggests winds you down. And this one upregulates your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest system. And with this simple paradigm, you can go out into the wild. You can go into mind-body circles. You can go into sports therapy circles. You can go wherever you might go in the world and where people are breathing. And you can understand what are they doing? Are they doing water balancing? Are they doing whiskey? You know, regulation of your sympathetic, upregulation of parasympathetic, or are they doing coffee practices to get in that fight or flight mode It's really liberating and really simplifies things. And In the same way that you get lost in the weeds with nutrition, you can really get lost in the weeds with breathing to the point where there are entire books filled with misinformation. There are medical doctors teaching wrong information. Um, Breathing is very popular right now, which is cool, but I just see people still constantly just... Misappropriating science—it's just super weird. Just super weird. The idea that if you breathe really fast, you get lots of oxygen—it's just—it's just categorically false. And um, like nutrition, there's a lot of things that are paradoxical. So in nutrition, it would be logical that if you eat fat, you would gain body fat. Not true. One of the quickest ways to lose weight, as you know, is just eat a whole bunch of fat and eat nothing else. You'll you'll burn weight. You'll you'll lose weight so fast it will be it will actually shock you it'll be scary if all you did is go on an all fat diet and similarly if all you did is hyperventilate breathe as quickly as you can it doesn't super saturate your body with oxygen just the opposite you get vasal dilation uh, so you get vasal constriction you get bronchodilation you'll actually probably pass out if you do it for a couple of minutes you'll black out because your veins constrict you can't absorb all that oxygen you're pumping into your body so this paradoxical nature of of nutrition keeps people forever confused. Don't want to eat fat because it'll make me fat. I need to breathe really fast to get lots of oxygen. Oxygen's good, CO2's bad. And it's just there's a lot more nuance to what's going on. Dietary fat doesn't turn into the fat on your hips. Breathing a whole bunch of oxygen doesn't necessarily get any more oxygen into your body. We have a systems approach, and our our human biology is it's beautiful in its complexity. Another analogy that I often give is like, um, you know, like anemia, anemia is a huge problem, lack of iron, like two billion people in the world are anemic well why don 't we just give them a whole bunch of iron pills? Well, guess what it doesn 't work you can 't just dump iron pills on people they don 't absorb it why because there 's cofactors that go along with that iron to make it absorbable b12 for example, and other, other phytonutrients, other other micronutrients and if they don 't have those, you can jam all the iron you want down their throat and they won 't become they won 't get their iron stores. If the same is true with oxygen, you, you can't just strap pure oxygen onto your face and suddenly all the cancer cells in your body will die. Body's a lot more complicated than that. And um, it comes down to this kind of kindergarten science when it comes to nutrition, like eat less, exercise more when it comes to breathing. Just breathe really fast. You'll get lots of oxygen. It's, it's just, I wish those things were true. That would make our lives a lot simpler. But there's nuance to it. At the same time, if you, if you have a, a working paradigm where you understand where the boogeyman is. In food, it's the boogeyman's carbs. In, in in breathing, the boogeyman is just confusion and misinformation. And you understand that we have three basic mechanisms, ways in which we can affect our nervous system. And then this Bohr effect, this oxygen exchange process is happening in the background as well, which is important to understand that faster breathing doesn't mean more oxygen. More air coming into your mouth or your nose doesn't necessarily mean better health. CO2 is it's a total oversimplification to think of it as a toxin. And then from there, you can start to unwind and unpack what's really going on. And uh, breathing like nutrition with all the best intentions, people get it totally backwards. And what I mean by that is with all the best intentions, people will go on a fat-free diet. Even though this has been uh, debunked since the 1990s, people still do it. They just go on a fat-free diet trying to lose weight and end up gaining weight. With all the best intentions, people will do these what I would call coffee breathing practices, these sympathetic nervous system stimulating practices right before bed. And then they wonder why they have nightmares and heart palpitations and can't fall asleep. And um, it's an easy mistake to make. So this simple paradigm, water, whiskey, and coffee, it's really served me well. People give me a lot of flack because they're like, you're in health and wellness and you're talking about whiskey and coffee. It's like, well, I don't drink whiskey in a long time. I don't even drink coffee anymore. So it's just a simple, simple way to, to put things into categories where we can Begin to understand what should be a simple practice, which, but which has been mistakenly and, in some cases, deliberately confused by teachers.
2: Yeah, I've done my own research over the years. I started developing like adult onset asthma, mm. uh, exercise induced asthma.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, and I was like, wow, what's going on here? So I've done several different things. Obviously, the Wim Hof method. I've also, I'm a big fan of Patrick McKeon and Buteyko mm-hmm. breathing. Uh, one of the biggest things that actually has made a difference in my entire cardio system, uh, just from sitting here right now to exercising and even sleep is taping my mouth shut at night yeah. when I sleep and, yeah. and breathing through my nose and teaching my body to breathe through our, on my nose. But and, and one of the, the highlights of Buteyko is that there's an optimal amount of oxygen that we need which is not more is better, you know, like yeah. two Advil are great four are better. Right. You know, <laughs> right, American right. way of doing this. Right. Yeah. Um, and I've done things, I have like, you know, breathing contraptions that I mm-hmm. would strengthen my lungs as I would breathe in and, um, those things I've practiced, um, even though I live in the mountains, uh, uh, diving, free diving, you know, apnea tables, you know, I had mm-hmm. an app on my phone practicing those things, trying to figure out what to work. And I actually ended up with something very similar, but, you know, also, you know, your water breathing is be- is very similar to a four by four box breathing where it's mm-hmm. very balanced, you know, four in, four out. Uh, my life coach, you know, helped me with that in stressful situations. So mm. I understand, you know, the importance of, of, of that. And Dr. Wheel's, um, you know, breathing exercises. The I think it's four seven eight is very similar mm-hmm. to your whiskey breathing. And sure. Those are the things that I use. We you know Wim Hof and four by four, and then four seven eight, and mm-hmm. um, which. But what, like I said, what I love about you know people understand coffee is a stimulant, and so if there's a style of breathing that stimulates yeah. our nervous system, we drink more water than we do coffee, and and hopefully more whiskey, and and whiskey comes at a certain time of the day typically in the evening yeah um, if we're drinking whiskey in the morning to cope with the day that's there's something really wrong right so we shouldn't have to do whiskey, whiskey right. breathing you know in the morning right that yeah. would be the, the so um so maybe if you can expand uh, now that we know what times of days to do them like what um you know what they are just a brief explanation of what coffee is the water and then the, and the whiskey breathing
0: sure so when you look at uh, our nervous system your nervous system, along with your endocrine system, is largely what determines how you feel. So for the most part, and in a moment-to-moment basis, your nervous system is probably having a heavier hand unless you have some sort of metabolic endocrine disorder, right? So if your thyroid's out of whack or if your testosterone's super low or something like that, for the most part, your nervous system is controlling how you feel. And most of us just get kicked around by our environment. We open the inbox, we see some... Uh, I don't know, Putin this, Trump that, uh, you know, Biden this, it's just, it's just like constant onslaught. It doesn't really matter which side of the political spectrum you're on or which side of the world you're on. You're just getting, your nervous system is just getting ping ponged off the wall all day long. So, we all have tools to try to manage our nervous system. The typical tools that we'll use are things like uh, red wine, a six-pack of beer, um, some CBD oil, some THC, some, uh, net, uh, some Netflix, some Hagen dazs These are all tools that we use. And um, I- I- every tool, most tools have a heads and a tails. And you know the heads of Hog and dazs taste really good. The tails is you're going to gain a bunch of weight and you're going to feel like crap and sleep badly. And, and you know, the, the cascading negative effects are, are pretty high. These, th- these things tend to escalate as well too. So the half a pint of haagen often turns into a pint. The half a bottle of red wine often turns into a bottle, often goes from two to three bottles a week to seven to 10 bottles a week. It, it can happen pretty quickly over the span of a year or two. And so with breathing, the idea is let's put some tools in your, in your, in your pocket that you can use to, to modulate your nervous system, just embracing the fact that you need to modulate your nervous system. It is human nature. Kids do it, everyone does. And there's all different things that people do. I mean, um, you know, sometimes you might fidget with a pen, you might bite on the edge. All these things are self soothing techniques. So let's think about some tools that we can use that are the least, that do the least harm and in many cases are just net positive. And so, when you use yoga breathing or any style of breathing practice, what you're doing is taking the car from automatic and dropping it down into manual. And when you're in manual mode, you can upshift and you can downshift and you can make some changes. And so, uh, generally speaking, water, whiskey, and coffee are not so much breathing practices as they are categories of breathing. So, it doesn't really matter which style of breathing you're into, whether it's holotropic or traditional pranayama or Wim Hof or buteco or or some weird book you found on Amazon, whatever. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. Just like anyone can exercise, anyone can breathe. But let's think about which category does this practice fall into so I use it at the appropriate time. As you mentioned, we want to default to balancing practices. And those would be water category practices. And the biggest determinant of a water practice is that it falls... In the ratio of around four to six breaths per minute, probably five is is the average, but four to six breaths per minute, which just to give you some reference, is about half of what you and I are breathing now naturally. So when we cut our breathing rate in half, but we keep the volume the same, it has a really balancing effect on our nervous system. And so, how does that work? Well, we breathe slowly, but we breathe deeply, and so when we're breathing about half our normal rate, but the same volume, about four to six liters. A minute. It balances your nervous system. And I don't care if you want to call it pranayama or you want to call it, you know, cooling breath or you want to call it baby breath or, or whatever you want to call it. That, the, the rate is really what we're concerned with. When we get into a fast rate, let's just call it 20 breaths, 30 breaths a minute that falls you into the coffee category and very quickly that'll start being stimulating. And so there's lots of breathing practices that fall under this category, breath of fire, all the Kundalini practices fall into this category aspects of Wim Hof fall into this category. Wim Hof is kind of like a, a Yogi speedball. Cause you do the, mm-hmm. you do the fast breath, then you do retention. So it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a combo where you do a, a coffee breath combined with a, what would be a, a breath hold or retention would be categorically whiskey and so um, uh, we look at those two different practices, and we can really quickly put things into categories. So, like you mentioned, water practice is the one that we come to again and again. Uh, um, coffee practices, we actually want to use with the most caution. And then whiskey practices, we use to go to sleep to, to basically calm our, our nervous system and, and to cool down. And so whatever you're into, is not so important. What's really important is that you understand what you're doing and that it makes sense. It's kind of similar to what you talked about with exercise, whether you like to throw kettlebells or run a marathon or do yoga or whatever it is, that's all fine, but make sure what you're doing is having the desired effect. So if you're trying to build lean muscle, probably, probably, you know, ultra marathon is not the best route. If you're trying to run ultra marathon, probably powerlifting is not the best result, you know? And so thinking about what your, what your desired effect is. And if it's a Monday and it's late afternoon and you're wired, but tired from work and you want to come home and be present with your family, you probably want to practice some balancing breathing. And if that same evening, three hours later, you can't fall asleep rather than grabbing half a bottle of, red wine and watching some other stupid Netflix original series. I'm, I'm really down on the Netflix original series right now, but um, (laughs) you know, rather than doing that, maybe we do some, maybe we do some slow breathing. And so the only one I haven't defined yet is the whiskey category, which would be three breaths per minute or slower. So again, to reiterate, uh, 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 water category breath, all of these are determined by the rate of breath. Water category would be four to six breaths per minute. A whiskey category would be anything slower than that, so less than three breaths per minute. It's so about a quarter of your normal breathing rate. And then anything fast, like 20, 30 breaths per minute would be a coffee category. So we mostly, if you look around the yoga world, mindfulness, wellness world, they mostly focus on whiskey breathing, which is because people come stressed out and they want people to zonk out and relax, and that makes sense but the part of the reason that the world has gotten really excited about things like holotropic and breathwork and and Wim Hof and things like this is because somebody's kind of dipping their toe into coffee breathing that has some interesting benefits as well and it makes a lot of people wake up and that, that can be just that feeling of uh, of being alive is something that a lot of people never really associated with breathwork or moving meditation before
2: right so there's different things that you could use that before exercise or in the morning correct uh, Right. And and then there's, you know, other places for that um, that that you can use. It also, you know, the breath can affect our pH balance as well. And I I know you talk about that some in your your TED talk, and and maybe we can get a little bit deeper into that before we get, you know, wrap this up. Sure. And I think that that's one of the things that is beneficial to the Wim Hof method
3: Mm -hmm. is because,
2: you know, they've done some tests where they've um, injected him with endotoxins and he's done breathing. And and if people would really understand the advantages of being slightly alkaline over being acidic, especially now with the COVID-19 days, right? Because um, in, it's proven that viruses, bacteria, and cancer can't live for a long time in an alkaline environment. And so pretty much, you know, people who get cancer or sick can't recover from a cold quickly or things like that. They're more acidic. Yeah. And, you know we you know you know I've done a lot of research on diets and things like that and and mm-hmm. there's foods that make us acidic and there's foods that make us alkaline and you know when we're you know people who are more plant based or eat more vegetables, they have a tendency to be more alkaline yeah it's kind of the same thing it helps with recovery and um, lower inflammation and you know those type of things and and how ironic is it that we can do the same thing with our breath? So, yeah. um, how, which one of these styles or categories is more alkaline than the other?
0: Yeah, so the. The acid alkaline thing, as soon as you mention that, people often think of acid alkaline diet and they've seen some f- crazy food combining charts and things like this.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: What tends to happen in, in health and wellness is we try to put a value judgment on things. So we want to say stress is bad, relaxation, good. Um, you know, hardcore workouts, bad, yoga, good. You know, it's like, um, I always use the sort of cliche yin-yang symbol as a visualization. It's really important to remember that it's just balance. And just like there's acidosis, there's also alkalosis. And I didn't realize this until I used to work at this wellness center. We had, we grew a bunch of sprouts. A buddy of mine made this crazy sprout grower. Uh, And I mean, we had kilos and kilos of sprouts. And so we started juicing these things and we we drank so much sprout juice. I got like loopy, nauseated, vomiting, and this is alkalosis. It's, it's, It is a condition just like acidosis, except the other way. So you can be too alkaline. You can be too acid. The important Mm -hmm. thing to remember when we're talking about dietary stuff is we're generally talking about digestion. We're talking about saliva and we're talking about urine. Your blood will will stay alkaline unless all hell has broken loose. So unless you're on death's gate, your blood will stay alkaline. When we talk about breath work affecting the acidity of, or alkalinity of your blood, we're talking about it's still staying in an alkaline zone, but it's bumping up and bumping down within that alkaline zone. And so, that's an important thing to remember. Um, it's slightly more alkaline or slightly less alkaline. Your blood won't become acidic. It'll do everything it can not to. It'll, it'll leach calcium from your bones and do everything else. Um, the interesting thing is people have spent years doing all these crazy diets trying to affect their blood acidity or alkalinity and it does nothing it doesn't work diet diet doesn't work your blood will stay exactly where it is your urine will change yeah totally so when you pee on the sticks your your saliva will change your gut will change which there's arguably benefits to that but your blood you can't the only way you can do it really is with your with your breath and and it's fast it's really fast it's really fast so here's the deal when you breathe we have this o2 co2 exchange right and so Oxygen comes in, CO2 goes out, There's a whole bunch of other things happening, but let's just think about oxygen in and CO2 out and that CO2 forms carbonic acid. And so um, that CO2, the more CO2 you have, the more acid your blood will become. Now, your blood's not acidic, but let's just call it the, the it'll become more on the acid scale of alkaline, but your blood's still alkaline.
2: Right, it's still on the lower side of the scale. It's between Correct. 7.35 and 7.45, I believe. Correct where it stays sure. on the alkaline scale at all times. That's exactly
0: right. So we're talking about like a 0.10 point, point bump up or down, basically, right? right? And so you got somebody, like you mentioned, apnea. So these divers, right, who are going down and they're staying down for 5, 7, 11, 19 minutes, some of these guys do. Their CO2 levels in their body, their CO2 balance, way, way up. And so what's happening? Their blood levels are going way towards acidic. They've so got a ton of carbon dioxide, carbon, you know, and so they get this carbonic acid in their, in their In their blood and then on the flip side you have people doing really fast breathing like kundalini yogis like holotropic breathers like wim hof people so you're throwing off co2 at a faster rate than you're making it let's imagine you just sprinted like a hundred yards or something like that as fast as you could at the end of that hundred yards you would and because your body's just literally literally just trying to off gas as quickly as possible because you have made co2 way faster than you're able to dump it and that's why you're just you just literally and you need oxygen as well on when you when you when you breathe as if you just ran 100 meters but you didn't when you breathe that way you throw off more co2 than you should which basically lowers the acidity of your blood now your blood becomes it's already alkaline. It's always alkaline, stays alkaline, but it becomes a little bit more alkaline, which is very interesting. It's very, very interesting. When you talk about affecting your blood pH, this is just such a, such a, such a huge physiological shift, biological shift you're making to your body. And it's really fast. It's like, it's like three minutes you can make this change. And so, it's really cool. And this is why people get excited about it. In terms of should you be acid or should you be alkaline, that's a much more complex Question to answer. That's like saying, should you be yin? Should you be yang? Is day better than night? Is hot better than cold? The answer is yes. They're both good, right? You just talked about hot therapy. You talked about cold therapy. It's not one or the other. You know, heat shock proteins and cold shock, but it's all interesting. It's all interesting. You need both of them. And so there's a really, really interesting benefits to being. Slightly higher on the alkaline scale. There's also interesting benefits to being slightly lower, and so um, the the, the we, we don't really know. But playing with it and and it is an interesting exercise um, in terms of what to do in COVID time, that's a chance. That's a challenging thing um, for sure. You want to make sure you're not straining your respiratory system in any way. And I should mention that a lot of the stuff that people get into online, whether it's extreme Wim Hof, some people just take it too far and they're doing it for too long or extreme holotropic breathing or extreme apnea training, which is the other side where people are Mm -hmm. retaining that can put undue stress on your respiratory system. I mean, physical stress, which is not a great idea. So in the, in the same way that if you are used to running 5k a day. And you start going out running half marathons every day. It's not that that's bad. I mean, that might even make you stronger in the long term. But were you in a period where any moment you might need to go into battle, probably better just to keep doing the 5K because you want to save your joints and your ligaments and you want to make sure everything's in shape. So whatever people are doing, I really advise against extremes. Definitely keeping your respiratory system healthy, but you can get into trouble with that extreme stuff.
2: Yeah, this time of the of our lives is probably more of a maintenance mode than it is to try to oh, sure. yeah really try to to move the needle in one way or the other. Um, you know, I I you know, like I said, I, I earlier I did a fourteen day, you know, hundred percent plant based. You know, and for the first five days, I did about nine hundred calories a day, mm-hmm. and and then I think I went through a detox on day six and seven. It was pretty rough days for mm-hmm. me. Um. And I probably knowing my nature went a little too far and yeah. with that and my workouts because I've had time have been probably a little bit too intense during this <laughs> yeah. time frame. And, you know, I spent 15 minutes in an ice bath on a day it snowed in May. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, should I just stuck with the three minute cold shower? Yeah. Um. You know, yes and no, but it's the same thing. Both are good, right? That's yeah. how we respond to it. Um, we have a tendency to, you know, myself included to, to put ourselves in positions where we weaken our immune systems a little bit by trying yeah. to get better.
3: Yeah, for sure. And,
2: and for sure. Um, I, I don't think it's by accident that someone who practice yoga as much as you do talks a lot about balance mm. because the yin and the yang, there's a little bit, the, the little, Dot is there's a little bit of yang in the yin and a little bit of yin in the yang. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a little bit of both, right? And
1: mm-hmm. there's a little bit of
2: winter and spring and there's a little bit of spring and winter, right? Yeah. You, you know, those things and, and a little bit of night and day and day and night, you know, those yeah. those things. And this has been, I don't know if you saw me, I've been taking a lot of notes um, and uh, uh through this through this whole talk. I don't even know if this is really an interview. It's been... It's been absolutely amazing. So before I ask my last question, Lucas, where can people find you online?
0: Um, I make yoga products at yogabody.com. I do yoga trainings at yogateacherscollege.com. And if you want to listen to my show, it's lucasrockwoodshow.com. That's it.
2: And you've been podcasting. We talked about this before we came on air about eight years. That's absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah. Hard to believe, but yeah, it seems like it.
2: Yeah. And then I also will put, I'll put all those links in the show notes, but I'll also put the TEDx talk mm. about uh, breathing as well in there so people can hear a little bit more about that as well. My last question is, what is the one change people can make today to impact the extending their prime years of their life out for decades?
0: I don't know that I know the answer to longevity, but what I do know is that I live in one of the blue zones, I live in, in Spain where average life expectancy is bonkers. It's like 83 years old right now. I think it, it's vying for number one, number two position. And the difference is like a couple of months. And what I see is definitely not a lot of exercise. I don't see a lot of great dietary choices. I don't even see a lot of great lifestyle choices. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't see a lot of great entertainment choices. There's a lot of cigarettes. There's a lot of coffee. 34% of the population smokes. Um, The parks are usually empty if you go for a run. But what I do see is uh, a really, really strong family unit, at least stronger than anywhere I've lived. And I've lived a number of different places. uh, And a really, uh, a much bigger emphasis on quality of life rather than career. And I'm saying this as someone who has no idea how to achieve that. Um, I don't have any of those things. I don't have a strong uh, extended social connection to my family. They're all, they're all across the world. I don't have a good work-life balance. I don't have a, a good sense of limitations in terms of work day. But what I do know is that I live in a place where people are living a really long time and they're not doing any of the bonky and the weird stuff that I'm doing. And so I think the reality is that, um, as you mentioned earlier, I think stress is, is it, I, from what I've learned, it has to be the elephant in the room and it's not something that I've learned to manage at all. It'd probably take me the rest of my life to try to figure out how to deal with it. But, um, that's what I see. I think if you, if you're, if you're stressed, and your support networks are in order. It seems like you can get away with a lot of a lot of wrong.
2: Wow, that's amazing. I, I, I'm like, I don't even know how to follow that up because, hey, I, I, I look at, at you and go, well, we're products of our environment, so maybe you'll pick up some of this just through osmosis, right?
3: Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully.
2: right. Um, whereas, like, almost in America or Western world, we're doing all these other things to combat that one piece which is the elephant in the room, which is we don't have work-life balance. Typically the career comes first. We don't put our families first. We don't put community first. Yeah. And, you know, blue zones are, you know, one of the things that, um, that they keep going back to is community and connection. Yeah. 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 I I took a a course on the Mediterranean diet and, and one of the big things is the family meal, the dinner, Sure. And the connection that they, they have
3: yeah.
2: and that there's no organized exercise in Blue Zones. Right. It's just yeah. movement, which is why yeah. I call it movement. I, I moved from a sitting desk and I'm, I'm sitting right now, but, but when I was going through the weight loss of the 40 pounds for, um, over about a month's period from a sitting desk to a stand-up desk mm. and I lost seven pounds. Amazing. Just by moving from sitting to standing. Yeah, and not walking, just standing. And when I in <laughs> yeah. my tracker app about how many calories you can burn mm. for standing, it's over a hundred calories per hour. Sure. And my hips aren't getting tighter because my hips yeah, yeah. aren't bent, and all these other things. My back hurts, you know, different ways and that stuff. So I actually now I move back and forth between standing and and sitting, and mm. I'm sitting over there because my standing desk is over there. Yeah. But um, um, it's it's absolutely, um, that's so enlightening that you would bring those things. And we don't know the answer because we've been products of the environments we grew up in, in that mm-hmm. we put career first and working hard and not having boundaries for work and um, absolutely amazing. Um, Lucas, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and being a guest today.
0: Scott, and, great uh, to meet you and thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, it's it's been amazing, and I encourage the listeners to to search you out even more. And I know that I'm interested in learning more from you, and I'm going to continue uh, on the path and integrating you know things that you teach uh, into um, and what I do on a day to day basis. So, thanks again for coming on the show.
0: Thanks, Kat. The statements expressed in this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice.
1: This is the Modern Longevitarian Podcast, and I'm Scott Stanfield. I would like to personally say thank you for listening to the show, and please join the Modern Longevitarian Facebook group by clicking on the link in the show notes. You can also follow me on Instagram, at Straight Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. This show is sponsored by Magnesium with Immune Boost by Electrolife. Stay hydrated with the best electrolytes you can get at electrolife.com forward slash shop.